Go with me, if you will, the book of Matthew, chapter number 2. Matthew, chapter number 2. We're, we're in the second lesson of our series. Uh, we started a couple weeks ago, Is Christ in Christmas? And uh, the, uh, the first lesson, we were talking a lot about the roots um, of, of Christmas as the holiday. And today, I want to talk to you a little bit about what, what I've called the assault on Christmas. Um, we are in a culture war, really. Um, our world, our, our society uh, has in a large way turned against Christianity and against Christ. And uh, so we want to talk about that tonight. And then next week, this, you know, last week was a lot of history. Uh, today is, is going to be less history but more of kind of where we are as a nation and then, and then next week, uh, I want to bring it to a spiritual end, and I want to talk next week on Wednesday night. By the way, we will be back in the sanctuary next Wednesday, uh, but I want to talk next week about a truly Christian Christmas um, from a biblical perspective and from our families. I think there's some things worth preserving, and uh, and and I hope these three lessons. I, I had to, brother Don he. He enjoys history like I enjoy history, and he he come up last week and said he enjoyed he enjoyed it, and I said, well, I felt like I was teaching a history class a little bit, but but sometimes you just got to, don't you? Sometimes you just have to, and so Matthew chapter number two verses one through three, and then we'll read verse thirteen. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men. From the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Matthew 2 and 13. And when they were departed, talking about the wise men, when they were departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt. And be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. For Herod will seek the young child To destroy him. There has been an attempt to destroy the work of Jesus Christ from the very time that he was born. Amen. And the the enemy, his name's not Herod anymore, but the strategy is pretty much the same. So let's pray. God, we thank you. Lord, we ask you tonight to give your grace and mercy. Lord, open our hearts and our mind to understand your word. God, I pray in the name of Jesus, be with us tonight, and I pray, God, that you guide us in Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you. You know, we've got all, you can be seated, we've got all these folks working on the, uh, on the program, and uh, thank the Lord for, for their, man, the program last year blew me away how good it was. If you, if you weren't able to come, I hope you can come, uh, I think you can still get tickets the next two or three nights. Um, some of my dear friends that aren't associated with church at all, uh, they came last year, and uh, they enjoyed it so much. 
that they're coming back Saturday, and he texted me. He said, man, we're spending our anniversary coming to your program. And so uh, so I, I told I, I, I believe that this church made an impact on them. And, uh, and I appreciate the hard work of all these folks that are practicing tonight and getting ready for, uh, getting ready for tomorrow night, Thursday, uh, tomorrow night, Friday, and Saturday. And then next Tuesday night and Wednesday night, we are doing a performance at the prison for the prisoners. They haven't, a lot of them haven't had Christmas in years. And uh, we're, we're taking a meal. We're going to feed half of the prison one night and do the program with them and give them a gift. Um, and then the, on Wednesday, they're going to go and they're going to do the other half of the prison and give, and give them a gift. And it'll be the first Christmas some of them have had in a long time. And so if you will, pray for the team that's going in. Um, pray for the team that's going in, that the Lord will use them. Um, Brother Matt Maddox, years ago, he was preaching at a conference called Because of the Times. It's a minister's conference, four or 5,000 ministers and wives. And he said a statement that stuck with me. He said, if you'll reach for the people that no one wants, he'll give you the people everyone wants. And, uh, and, there's, and, and our job is to show the love of God. And so that's what we want to do. Amen. The Bible said that when the wise men told Herod that they were come to worship, and they said this, they said, he that is born the king of the Jews. Well, Herod instantly, his, his attention got raised because he considered himself to be the king of the Jews. And when they said that, the Bible said that it troubled him. When the wise men came and said, we've come to worship he that is born the king of the Jews. The Bible said it troubled him. Now, you know, in, in the Christmas plays that we all do, you, you know, we, we do the wise men and all that. You know, Jesus was about two years old when the wise men came. It wasn't on the night of his birth. Um, it, was, it was in response to that, that Herod, who Herod was one of the most wicked men that there's ever been in all of history. Herod, he, uh, during his reign of terror, he murdered one of his wives, at least one of them. He murdered several of his sons. He was afraid they would take the throne from him. And so he killed his own sons. He killed his father-in-law. Um, he killed a brother. It, it's, it's believed that he, he killed one of his brothers. He had this, this cruel ambition. And so when somebody told him that there was a king of the Jews born, he decided that he was going to do whatever he had to. And so the Bible said that, uh, that he ordered all the children, two years old and under, in Bethlehem to be killed. The, there was a, there's a verse uh, where it talked about in Ramah there would be wailing. And that was a prophecy about the mothers that would weep as the Roman soldiers killed their sons, two years old and under. Because he was so afraid that, that, that this baby was going to depose him. It was the first war against Christmas. It was the first attempt. Joseph had been warned in a dream by God to take Jesus to Egypt because Herod was going to try to destroy him. And so he goes until, until a few years later he comes back 
after Herod is, is through this, this fit of anger that he had. And so here we are now, about 2,000 years or so removed from Herod, and Jesus is still being worshipped. And Herod, if it wasn't for Jesus, would have been long forgotten. You cannot stop God. People have tried to fight God through all the centuries. And the people that are trying to fight him now are going to learn what everybody else learned. You cannot, you cannot win a victory against God. And so if it wasn't for Jesus, we wouldn't even know about Herod. The only reason people know about Herod is because, is because of the story of Jesus. It establishes something that I want to settle early on. And, and that there have been assaults against Christ and against Christianity from the very beginning. And the church is still here. Amen. Jesus is still glorified, and we still celebrate his birth. One of the things that I worry about as a pastor, um, I, have a, I feel like I have a responsibility to shine light. You know, when, when there's an issue, when there's something that we as a church need to be aware of, I think it's part of my job to talk about it. Um, whether, it's, whether it's political situations, whether it's social situations, um, uh, cultural situations. But, but one of the things I fear is that by drawing attention to these things we need to be aware of, that, that we can almost put a fear in people of the age that we live in. And so I want to settle it right now that, that, that Jesus is going to win. Amen. And everyone that's on his side is going to win. And so while we talk about this for a little while tonight, I'm not going home tonight and wringing my hands and laying my head down and losing sleep over, over what the devil's trying to do. He's been trying to do stuff for a long time. I had, I had somebody come to me a couple of weeks ago after church on a Sunday night. I was, I was trying to get, get home and, and uh, I was walking across the parking lot and somebody stopped me and they said, Hey, Pastor. They said, um, man, I just feel like, like the devil's been following me everywhere I go. And the devil's been after me, and he's, he's, he's on my trail. And I just, and pastor, I, I don't know what to do. I said, well, here's what I would do. I said, I would worship, and I would pray, and I'd talk in tongues, and I'd read the Bible. And if he wants to torture himself listening to all that, he can hang around as much as he wants. <laughs> Just make him as uncomfortable as he can be, you know. And, and if, if the devil's going to hang around me, he's going to be tortured by hearing about how good God is all the time. And, and so what I don't want to do is I don't want to establish this, this idea that we're in a hopeless situation because we are in the most hopeful situation there could possibly be. And that is that the Lord is going to win. Amen. He is a victorious, conquering champion. And so I just want to settle that right at the beginning, that, that Jesus is, after all these attacks, all these years, all these, these from, from Herod all the way through, through time, the, the church has been persecuted, this and that, all through this, and, and yet we're still here. And the people that have tried to destroy have come and gone. Um, one of my favorite cities in the world is Paris. I like Paris, and I like Paris because it's old. And, uh, and the older I get, the more I like old stuff. And, and, but, but I, there's, as if, if you get on this bus, they do this, this bus thing and it's two hours and, and, uh, you ride around the city 
and they, they ride you by a building that is, is where the Bible Society is housed. It's an old building. The building's a few hundred years old, but that's where the Bible Society is housed. And uh, the interesting thing about that building is not that it's the, the home of the, the Bible Society. The interesting thing is that that was once the home of a philosopher named Voltaire. And Voltaire was a Greek philosopher that was an atheist. And he said that the best thing for man would be to get rid of the Bible. And Voltaire has been dead for 200 and some years, and the Bible Society lives where he used to live. And so you can't fight God. You can try. Well, let me take that back. You can fight God, but you can't win, okay? And so what, what, while we talk about this, I want us to keep it in mind that all these attempts are going to fail. They just are. Um, when, when, when the wise men found Christ, they celebrated his birth. Here's what the Bible said, Matthew 2, 10, and 11. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. When they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. When they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When they found Christ, they rejoiced. Amen. And they, they gave him gifts. These gifts are interesting. Gold is a gift for king. Frankincense is is a uh, is a gift it's it's an aroma it's it's like a perfume and myrrh did you know that myrrh was was mostly used to embalm the dead isn't that interesting that uh, that at his birth they gave him a a, a, a uh, an oil that they generally used to embalm dead people it's almost like at when they brought him his gift that they were foreshadowing that he's going to die someday and they, they, were, they were giving him that at the very beginning. But my point is that when they found this child, they worshipped him. And they rejoiced because they found him. And I still believe, I still believe that when we find Jesus, that we ought to worship him. And we ought to be glad we found him. And we ought to give him gifts. But the gifts are our worship and our devotion and our love. And, and that's what he wants from us. The modern movement, there is a modern movement to combat, uh, to combat the idea of Christmas. It's not so much that they care about a holiday. If it, was, if it was called Flower Day, they wouldn't complain one little bit about it. If it was Fish Day, you know, I'm just randomly thinking of stuff. But because, but because it's Christmas... That's the problem that the secular world has with the holiday. It's because it is rooted in the celebration that Jesus Christ, God manifest in the flesh, came to redeem man from sin. And this modern assault on Christmas, it, it appears that the, the term assault on Christmas, uh, it originated with something called the John Birch Society. John Birch Society was a group, they were, they, were, they were fairly radical. 1959, they released a pamphlet called There Goes Christmas, in which they claimed that there was a communist plot to take the Christ out of Christmas. That's where the, that phrase first appears in, in modern lexicon. 
they were this, this radical fringe group that stood for some strange things. But they, one thing they did do well that they did do was try to combat atheism and the advance of atheism. And though they were on the fringe, they coined the phrase, the assault on Christmas. It was Charles Dickens' classic, A Christmas Character, Carol, A Christmas Carol. I ought to know because that's what they're practicing in there. I'm going to see it three times this year and after three times last year. Charles Dickens' classic, A Christmas Carol, depicts a grouchy elderly man who hated Christmas and carried out his own personal little war against it. Then, in the last century, Dr. Seuss revived the theme through his book about the Grinch. How many of you know the Grinch? There was a little boy in the church. I was at lunch with him and his family, and uh, he had just watched the Grinch DVD. And, man, he was worried about the Grinch. He was mad. He was worried. And, uh, and he told me, he whispered in my ear, he said, hey, he said, if the Grinch tries to steal my presents, I'm going to kick the bleep out of him. Except, except he didn't say bleep. And I started laughing. I started laughing. And as soon as he saw me laughing, he knew he had gone too far. He took his little hand and covered my mouth. And because uh, he knew I was going to, he, he knew that his, his folks were going to ask me what I was laughing at. And so, I, I mean, it was just, it was funny. <laughs> I don't encourage kids to curse, but it was funny. Um, and so about three weeks later, I asked him, I said, so um, what about the Grinch? He said, oh, he's a good guy now. He said, I've watched the end of the movie. He's a good guy now. And so, um, but that whole, you know, that, that, that whole idea of, of, of the bitterness that, that about the holiday, there's some people, I'm going to tell you that for a lot of people, it's the best time of the year, but for a lot of people, it's the hardest time of the year. People that just lost a loved one, that's their first Christmas without them. There's a lot, you know, depression and suicide rates spike at Christmas time. And so while we're celebrating, we would do well to remember that, that there are people that the holiday is not that merry and bright for. Um, the Puritans, they saw Christmas as a Catholic holiday. And so they wanted to remove Christian life from Catholic influence. To them, if it wasn't referenced in the Bible, it shouldn't be observed. They, they didn't just observe the stuff that was in the Bible, but if it wasn't in the Bible, you weren't allowed to observe it. And so they, they were right in the sense that there's no mention of a holiday for Christmas in the Bible. I talked about it two weeks ago. Jews didn't celebrate birthdays. They celebrated death days. And so they saw it as a Catholic holiday, and so in their attempt to move Catholicism out of life, they actually, they actually outlawed for 12 years in England Christmas because the Puritans had political control. When the Puritans fell out of, of, of power in England, they went, to, they, 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 they went to Scotland for a while, they went to another, they went to other, and then they ended up in Pennsylvania primarily. And do you know that they had outlawed Christmas in the New World, when they came here, it was it was against the law for many years. In 1640, the Calvinist Presbyterians who ran the church in Scotland they banned Christmas celebrations. In 1647, the 
the English Parliament outlawed Christmas for 13 years. I said 12 a minute ago, it's 13. And in the New World, from 1659, Christmas celebrations were illegal in the Massachusetts Bay Colony. Now, we can't hardly think about that. We, we, we have trouble really understanding, but historically, that's what happened. There are some groups of Christians that still won't celebrate Christmas. Um, I have some friends that, that won't. For many of the same reasons the Puritans did. And I, I know some of them, but, uh, but we just agree to disagree. But that is not what I'm here to talk about tonight. Because the Puritans' war on Christmas was done out of a desire to please Jesus, not a desire to erase him or cancel him. It was, it was modern society we live in doesn't want Christianity as its anchor. So there is a deliberate attempt to eradicate anything that's Christian in nature. Because of the moral values of the Bible and the Christian doctrine and the perversion of this modern generation, they want to eradicate things that are Christian in nature. The father of modern communism, Karl Marx, famously said this, that religion is the opium of the masses and the sigh of the oppressed. Emboldened by his hatred of religion, those who share his views have sought to remove Christianity's influence. If you can remove God, then you can remove moral values. In Russia, Marx's Karl Marx's disciples removed religious teaching from the schools, outlawed criticism of atheism, agnosticism, and burned 100,000 churches. When priests demanded freedom of religion, they were sentenced to death. That's what happens when you get Christ out of a culture. Between 1917 and 1935, 130,000 Russian Orthodox priests were arrested. 95,000 were executed by firing squad. Comedian and talk show host Bill Maher said, quote, religion must die in order for mankind to live. He was not advocating for a return to early communist Russia. He wasn't advocating for the murder of religious people and leaders but he was calling for, what the end, for the end of what we Christians value the most, our faith in God. It's difficult for secular people to really understand how deeply people like us feel about our faith. They can't understand it. For much of modern society, if they, if they claim Christianity at all, it's not really at the forefront of their lives. It's behind work and hobbies and family and finances and myriad other things that hold primary positions in their consciousness. They don't understand people who view our faith and live our Christianity like we do. I have good friends that consider themselves Christian, but Christianity is not really part of their daily life. It's, it's you know, they... they, they I've got, I've got one friend, I made him have a cussing jar a couple years ago. Every time he cussed, he owed me a dollar. 
and uh, I was starting to get pretty well off for a little while. To <laughs> He's a great guy. He's a Christian he, to him. He can't understand the way I view my faith and how I, it affects the way I live. He can't understand it. Well, why can't he understand it? Because he has been immersed in a culture that does not have the same sense of values that we do. And this world struggles when it comes to our commitment. They don't understand it. You, we, have, we have some of our, our good folks that are in college classes, and their professors just can't understand. We had, we had one, and, and I'm not going to out them in front of everybody, but we had one student in a class that for their psychology class, the teacher required they wear a gay pride pin for a week or a certain amount of time, and they refused. They said, I can't do that. And it was this big ordeal trying to figure out an alternate assignment and not fail the class. It is a, I'm telling you, this modern culture that we live in, Bless you. Good to see you. This modern culture that we live in does not understand how deeply our faith is part of our life. To them, things are just expendable, but it's not expendable to us. And so the reason that I'm bringing this lesson is when you see a, a, a segment of culture trying to do away with, with Christmas and, and wanting to move away from it, I'm talking about a, a, a real battle that we have to be willing to engage in spiritually, not physically. We're not going to argue and fuss and do all that. But spiritually, we've got to understand that faith is under assault. They don't understand how we view our faith. I've got I to gotta, I gotta get on down this lesson. About 18 years ago, television news personality Bill O'Reilly did two weeks of reporting on what he saw as a move to take Christ out of Christmas. Some of you may remember it. He, he, was, uh, he, he was perturbed that, that communities were outlawing saying Merry Christmas, that you had to say Happy Holidays, and, and they were removing nativity scenes. They were, they, there were communities that had statues to these, you know, there was one community in California that had this, this statue of some demon something, and, but they made him remove the nativity scene from in front of a church. And so he went on this this two week every day he was talking about he was talking about this this uh, this this move to take Christ out of Christmas. And it got the attention of the nation. It also got the attention of of an of a uh, CNN anchor named Aaron Brown who's quite liberal. And he told a crowd at the University of Washington who the blank is worrying about that about taking Christ out of, he said, nobody cares about that. You see, they can't understand how important that our faith is to our life. It's not so much that they don't like us necessarily, but they can't understand how deeply these things matter to us. So the liberal audience there at the university for his speech clapped and laughed and sneered in response to the remark. This event shows how little non-religious people understand our connection to our Savior. To them, it's unimportant. It's a reason to laugh and sneer, but to us, it's everything. 
They don't understand, and I know I'm, 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 I'm re- reiterating this point over and over, but they don't understand why we're concerned that there are places in America, a nation that was founded on biblical values, where simply wishing someone a Merry Christmas is considered insensitive or exclusionary. Did you ever think you'd, uh, some of you younger ones, that's the world you kind of grew up in, but, but me, I never would have dreamed that there would ever be a place where I wouldn't be allowed to say Merry Christmas. But it happens. La Jolla, California changed the name of their Christmas parade to a holiday parade because the word Christmas was considered insensitive. The mayor of Somerville, Massachusetts, apologized after a news release mistakenly referred to the city-sponsored holiday party as a Christmas party. And because they said Christmas party, the mayor had to apologize. Pasco County, Florida officials banned Christmas trees placed in public areas of the administration building and had to apologize because somebody had to see one. Multiple lawsuits have been filed over the years by private citizens and organizations against federal and local governments to remove nativities and other Christian symbols from public places. Legal action has been taken to remove Christian references, songs, and the word Christmas from school plays and programs. I was sitting Saturday night in Santiago, Chile, at the airport waiting to come home. And, uh, and, and I, was, I was sitting there, and I put my earbuds in. I don't play anything, but I put my earbuds in because it keeps me from having to have a whole lot of extra conversation. And uh, <laughs> I mean, when you're tired, you're just tired. It was, my flight didn't leave till midnight. I was wore out. But I, I sat there, and, I, and I, I could hear, Sister Bonnie, I could hear somebody singing a Christmas song. And then I realized it was me. And, yeah, I was, she said, I was tired. I was tired and delirious. But I noticed they're, they're playing English Christmas songs over the, the sound system in the airport. But, but it's religious songs. I mean, they're, what, what child is this? And, oh, holy night. And all, they're playing all these. And then, and so I've, it was a nine-hour flight, landed in Dallas, had about three hours before my connecting flight. And while I was sitting in Dallas, they were playing Christmas music. Here comes Santa Claus, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Not one religious song. Just in, in one night, you see the vast difference. I read something. I read something yesterday. I read a, a, a it was actually a letter from a Muslim in a Muslim country that had come to America at Christmas and wanted to experience Christmas. You know, they'd heard about it, and, they, were, and they, they wrote a letter. They said, we went home, and they play Christmas music, and we, we don't believe in Jesus, but we still have Christmas, and we play Christmas music because it's fun. They said, I've never heard one Muslim in my Muslim country complain about Christmas, but I was in America less than 24 hours before I heard people complain.
We don't have to hold on to what we believe, folks. Let me, let me move on down here a little bit. There are some that say that war on Christmas doesn't exist at all and that it's paranoia on part of religious fundamentalists, and that's the accusation. You're just a religious fundamentalist. You, you're over-worried about stuff. I am a religious fundamentalist. I am that because religion, my religion is as fundamental to my life as anything else could be. I personally do believe that there is a spiritual attack on Christianity. I don't think that Christmas is the goal. I think Christianity is the goal. There's a systematic attempt by atheists and humanism and others to remove any vestige of religion, primarily Christianity, from the public discourse. Amen. Make no mistake about it, the devil wants Jesus out of our modern society. The longest, the longest armed conflicts in American history were the Afghan conflict that lasted 19 years and 10 months. The Vietnam War, our involvement from the beginning to the end, 19 years and 4 months. The longest armed conflicts, but the longest war America was ever entangled in was called the Cold War. The Cold War was a state of political hostility between the United States and the Soviet Union and both of their nation's allies. Um, they say it ended in 1991. I, a, a year ago this month, I went to Russia, had to carry some money to our missionaries, and uh, they were struck because the the sanctions from the Ukraine war, they couldn't get their funding, and so I had to carry money, and I got detained for four hours at the airport and questioned, and it was... It was a nightmare, so I still think the Cold War is going on, and I'm not going back until this thing's over. But the Cold War was threats and propaganda, but they never, there was never open warfare. From 1945, as the Second World War closed, tension developed between the United States and the Soviet Union on how to occupy Germany and Eastern Europe. The antagonism escalated but never reached armed conflict between the two superpowers. Forty-six years, the two countries were at odds. My entire childhood, I was born in 1971, my entire childhood all the way through my teen years was spent thinking that we could have a nuclear war at just about any time. That's just the world I grew up in. If you're in my generation, you kind of grew up the same way. You just thought at any moment it could happen. The war was never declared, but everyone knew the conflict existed. So I want to talk to you about a second front of the war on Christmas. And it's an undeclared war, a spiritual cold war. The enemy of Christmas in this spiritual cold war is not a country it's not a demonic spirit. It's not a religion. The opponent in this cold war against Christmas is Christians. If you've ever been in a swift-moving river, you know that it's easy to get carried away by the current. If you're a kayaker or a canoer, you know that you must be mindful of the current. 
My my uh, my house a couple Sundays ago caught on fire. Our closet, the electrical outlet where the water heater was plugged in, caught on fire, and Marshall come and saved everything, threw water on it, put the fire out. And uh, I was down praying for Sister Jameson on, that Sunday afternoon at her house. And when I came back, they're waving me over, saying, "You might want to come home. The house is on fire." And uh, and Elliot, the young man, the electrician that's working in the new building that's doing the electrical work, he came over and he fixed he he fixed that. My girls wanted hot water, and so he came and fixed the the, the wiring and and. Um, in the converse, we, we had this conversation, and he told me, he said, man, I love to vacation in Florida. He said, but what we do is we tent camp on the beach. He said, we fish all night. He said, what I love to do is I love to get in a kayak, and I will row out into the, into the ocean, just me and a fishing pole. He said, and I'll fish. And he said, but my problem is sometimes I don't pay attention and I get caught up in the current before I know it. He said, and I'll be so far out, I can, I can barely see land at all. He said, I can see the tops of the, like the, the hotels or whatever. He told me that he gets caught up in what he's doing and forgets that the current is carrying him further and further away. The reason I'm talking about Christians being at war with Christmas is because if we're not careful, we can get caught up in the current of what's going on around us. And we'll lose what this is really all about and not even mean to. I've been doing a lot of ref, ref, referencing lately the last two or three weeks. I don't know exactly why, but on Acts 27, the story of this great storm that Paul and his shipmates were caught up in. For two desperate weeks, they fought this storm. They didn't see the sun or the stars for two weeks. They threw all the cargo overboard, every item that could be sacrificed. They threw it overboard, trying to save the ship. They said that, that all hope to be saved was lost, and they longed for the day. But two weeks of violent storms did not sink the ship. Two weeks of wind and waves didn't destroy the ship. The Bible says in Acts 27, 41, how the ship was destroyed. Listen to what it says. And falling into a place where two seas meet, met, a place where two seas met, the ship ran aground, the forepart stuck fast, remained unmovable, and the hinder part was broken by the violence of the waves. They survived the wind. They survived the rain. They survived the waves. They took everything the storm and sea could throw at them, and the ship survived. But when the ship got caught in a place where there were two opposing currents, the ship was not able to withstand the opposing forces. Two seas, two opposing currents. I want to tell you that the most dangerous place for any Christian is to find themselves in a place where two opposing currents are pulling them in different directions. When God's pulling you one way and the world is pulling you the other. When holiness is pulling you one way but carnality the other. When conviction is pulling you one direction and temptation pulling you the other. 
This time of year, we are pulled by opposing currents. We want our children and families to have a great Christmas. We don't mean to get caught up in the commercialization of the season, but we do. We get so busy and so stressed that we lose the joy of what we're celebrating. Now, I've told you this before. My mom, ma'am, I love my mom. My mom was, everybody loved my mom. My mom thought nobody loved her. She always thought nobody loved her, and she had one of the biggest funerals I ever went to. But my mom would, would get so frustrated by buying for Christmas, and then she'd cook this big meal, and by the time we ate on Christmas Day, she was so grouchy. And my dad was so mad because all the money she spent that they wouldn't hardly speak to each other. I could not wait to get out of the house on Christmas because there was so much just tension and bickering. And <laughs> you're laughing. But it's true. It didn't matter if it was. 25 degrees and, and, and foot deep snow. We were going outside to play after we ate Christmas meal because we couldn't stand to be inside anymore. They didn't mean for it to be that. That's not why they, they bought all those presents and cooked all that food. But just the current of all the stuff that it becomes got in the way of what it really was. We want our families to have the best experience possible. And we get so busy and stressed that we lose the joy of what we're celebrating. I hear things. I, I walked through a store today and I heard, I heard somebody shopping for Christmas presents saying, I can't wait till it's over. I don't want my own misplaced energy to be a war on Christmas. Does it make any sense to you? That's, that's the cold war on Christmas that, that, that we fight and we don't even know we're doing it. That we get so caught up in everything that we really lose what it's about. That's why next week we're going to have a, a, a lesson titled the, 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 A Truly Christian Christmas. But let me, let me give you some things. Psalms 130 and 6. My soul waiteth for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. I say more than they that watch for the morning. Talking about the watchman that would watch for the morning and, and would keep a lookout. He said, my soul waits for the Lord more than any of that. I'm going to tell you that, that in this season, we ought to be waiting on the Lord. Uh, and what I mean by waiting on the Lord is looking for him. Looking for him. Psalms 27, 4, one thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. He said, one thing I've desired of the Lord. Song of Solomon, chapter 3, verse 3, the watchmen that go out about the city found me, to whom I said, saw ye him whom my soul loveth. All these verses tell us that the focus of our thinking ought to be the Lord. If I'm not careful, I reduce Christianity to a formula. If I do this, God does that. 
If I give this, God gives that. Christianity becomes a series of if-then statements that sort of a formula for happiness. My flesh wants happy, but my spirit wants holy. And I have to keep Christ in the center of my mind. I have to keep myself in the current of the spirit or I'll be pulled apart by these opposing currents. It's, more, it's important at Christmas time, as strange as it is, for a religious holiday to be one of the major distractions from Christ. There's a lot of distractions and a lot of obligations. I have one free night the whole month of December. Isn't that crazy? One free night. I'm going to fight to keep it, but we'll see how that goes. <laughs> Distractions, obligations. My wife told me today, she said, why do we try to do so much? It's exhausting, but underneath all that clutter is Jesus waiting to be celebrated. Christmas matters for Christians because Jesus matters to Christians. Let's close our eyes. I feel the Lord trying to just bring us back to center a little bit right now. I know. I know we're busy, and we're busy because we're trying our best to celebrate with our families. But if I could just, as a pastor, just give you some advice. Make sure that you don't ignore your prayer time, your Bible reading, your devotion. In the, in the, 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 in the desire to celebrate Jesus, don't forget Jesus. Does it make sense? The war, the real war that we fight, we're not endangered by the mayor of that city. We're he's him him getting rid of him getting rid of, of, of the happy Merry Christmas in favor of that doesn't affect me one bit. But what does affect me is when I get so busy that I fail to focus on what it's really about. Amen. Why don't you reach over and just lay your hand on somebody close to you if you're comfortable doing so. And I want us to pray one for another. Lord, I thank you for my church family. Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. And God, I thank you, Lord Jesus, because we're here tonight, because we care, because our faith is who we are. Lord, we get caught up, we get busy, we get... We get all the obligations and all of that, but I don't want to lose. I don't want to lose what this is really about, Lord. God, I hope that you'll help us to not be casualties of the war against Christmas. It's commercialized, but I don't have to let it be commercialized to me. I can participate without letting it become part of my 
of, of, of my attitude and my thinking. Lord, this is about you. It's about me showing my family who you are and why you came. And God, the joy that we have is because of you, not because of presents and gifts and all that. The real gift, the real joy is because of you. God, I pray that you help us. Help us, Lord, to be lights at this time of year for people who are hurting. Help us, God, to be lights for people, Lord, who are struggling. Lord, grant your mercy and grant your grace. And Lord, I pray that you help us to keep you center in everything, to keep our walk with you centered. God, to keep our families centered. Lord, on who we are intrinsically, the faith that matters so much. God, Christmas matters because Christ matters. Christmas is important to us because Jesus is important to us. And God, if we celebrate the holiday, but we don't celebrate you, then all we've done is have a holiday. Today would have... This next, next Wednesday, the 20th, would have been my mom's 82nd birthday. It's hard for me to imagine, but, uh, but that's, she's been gone a long time already. Imagine that it was your birthday today, and your family and friends are throwing you a huge party. I went out of the country for my 50th birthday because I knew my wife wanted to throw me a party, and I didn't want one. And so I went and dedicated a church somewhere else on my birthday, so I, I outsmarted her. Yeah, I did. I, yeah, yeah. But imagine today's your birthday and your family and friends are throwing you a party, a party so big that everyone you know and love is going to be there. Your name is strung in lights on the outside of the house. They have pictures of you everywhere. Imagine they've written songs about you that they play all day long on repeat. But somehow in all the planning of the birthday party, they forgot to invite you. So you think it's a mistake, so you just show up anyway. Unfortunately, most of the people are so preoccupied by the party, the music, the food, the guests, that they don't even hear you knocking at the door. You bang louder and louder on the door, but they continue to carry on without you. You let yourself in and no one acknowledges that you're there. They talk about you, sing about you, celebrate you, but ignore the actual you. The party is about you, but not for you. And I'm afraid for most of modern Christianity, the party is about Jesus, but not for Jesus. Amen. So I want to have a Christian Christmas.